Welcome to Conservation Realist. I am Dr. Tara Sayuri-Witty, and I am very glad to bring you this episode, episode 18, and it is a special compilation from most of the interviews conducted over this first season. And it's a compilation of my guests' responses to these three rapid-fire questions. Um, but because of how my mind works, I had trouble actually choosing only three questions. So there's there's kind of three types of questions, and, and two of them have multiple options. And here they are. The first is, what is one thing that would improve how conservation functions, or what is one thing that would make your day-to-day work in conservation easier? The second question is, what is an unsung idea that you'd like to see get more recognition in the field? Or who is an unsung hero who you'd like to see get more recognition in the field? And then finally, what is one of your top pieces of advice for aspiring or younger conservationists? Now, anyone of the guests probably could have given a whole talk on each of these questions. But it was a really nice way to wrap up each conversation, just having a really kind of quick summary of of their thoughts on these issues that they seem quite simple on the surface, but I think they do have a lot of um, power to offer insights um, regarding how we can make conservation a better field in many ways. I am fully in the throes of pre-winter holiday madness, and I'm sure many of you are too, although I suspect that by the time you listen to it, maybe we'll be already into the new year. Um, But I kind of want (laughs) to revisit something I touched on in the previous episode, which is why, oh why, (laughs) did I plan to make a compilation episode which would require me to go back and, and edit every single conversation that I've had for this podcast, it is a lot of work. (laughs) But I I understand why I wanted to do this. I think it's nice to get kind of a cross-section of the people who were featured in this first season. It seemed like a nice way to kind of wrap up the season and revisit the voices that we've heard from. And I so very sincerely appreciate the time, energy, and wisdom shared with me by each and every one of these guests um, during this first season. And I do have uh, another episode planned. I'm resolved to get it out by the end of the year, um, really just for my own personal timeline. But um, this has been a big undertaking, and I've been so very pleased and, and moved by how many people agreed to be interviewed and, and who expressed their, their support of this project. I want to emphasize how much of an honor it is for me to learn from people like the folks who I interviewed in this season. Um, there are so many people doing fantastic, thoughtful, creative work. Um, if you hear that rustling in the background, <laughs> the, the resident cat has found some wrapping paper. Um, but yes, it's such an honor to learn from people like them. and. I know that when I talk about conservation as a field, (laughs) I might strike some people as being very critical, perhaps pessimistic, maybe even unpleasant. Uh, And by the way, I find that to be quite a a gendered (laughs) 
critique. Um, but I feel like those of you who are listening kind of get it. You know that this is coming from a place of being realistic, of, of being a conservation realist. Um, and, and knowing that the pursuit of better conservation, and that means conservation that's effective in an ethical and equitable way that kind of goes hand in hand with social justice, um, it's, it's not going to be improved by candy coating anything, really. And so while I, oh my goodness, <laughs> the cat again has knocked over a stack of books um, <laughs> by, what was I saying? Oh my goodness. Okay, I know I can be critical of many things that many people in the broader field of conservation do, um, but I also am so excited and heartened by the wonderful, mindful work that many people are doing as well. And I, I find that, unfortunately, a lot of the that latter kind of work isn't necessarily given the attention it deserves in, in the way that I think it should be highlighted. Um, so, again, I'm just very thankful that all these people who chatted with me who have so many other more important things to do um, were willing to, to share their, their voices here. I think this might have been one of my more discombobulated introductions, so <laughs> maybe we should just move on. Uh, let's listen to a brief clip from the song Green Touch by Somo Twin, Xiante, and Min Min from Myanmar, and let's dive into some of these responses. All right, so question one. What is one thing that would improve how conservation functions? Or, what is one thing that would make your day-to-day -day work in conservation easier? And here is Dr. Jo Marie Aceves, or Joam, from Baliana.org. Can I say money? Um, yes, money is important. <laughs> huh. I don't know. There's, I, there's so many things. Like, definitely... <laughs> um, People knowing, uh, people knowing the law. It sounds awful, but it's um, <laughs> I don't know. People being mindful, okay, of basically the laws that govern the species or the environment, and at the same time being mindful of the people. Mm -hmm. either live or live on a particular species or habitat and at the same time of your own limitations of what you can do given your position whether you're a government official or NGO worker or a scientist um, and yeah I think definitely if we had if everyone had the proper resources, mm -hmm. not just money, 
manpower, definitely, it would make life so much easier for everybody. This is not just speaking for the conservationists, but also for the government agencies who are mandated to enforce laws, mm. for example. Um, because I don't blame them for a lot of other things that are happening beyond their control because literally they're just undermanned. There's yeah. not enough of them to do the work that they're supposed to do. And that affects basically everything. So. And now Brooke Tully, conservation marketing expert and trainer. Um, I would answer this coming back to one of our previous conversations. Having those conservation marketing or behavior change communication roles be full-time dedicated roles would be huge. Um, I think, again, for the effectiveness of those projects. And I mean, I would just love to be able to train, mentor, and support folks who are thinking about this day in and day out as their full-time job. Next is Yin Yin Tay with Myanmar Coastal Conservation Lab, or MCCL. Uh, this one, I would say, uh, if we have like sustainable like activities like uh, marine mammal, right? Marine mm -hmm. mammal research, and then we know ahead of time. Okay, this year we uh, have these activities, and then we can uh, design how to work, and uh, yeah, that one can make easier uh, easier for us. Right, and then mm -hmm. if not, we have to like like change uh, the uh, change the activities and uh, change all things uh, as I experienced before, and then that is difficult to follow the new rules, new things to adapt. Yeah, if we have yeah. like concrete concrete activities and long term uh, long term activities uh, uh, for the, for the future, that will be easier to move forward. Mm -hmm. So like like projects that have kind yeah. of long-term yeah. and reliable funding, for example, yeah. is that what you mean? Yeah. And um, in this case, I would separate like two. This one is more like uh, budgeting and then like concrete activities. Another one is working with the team. Working with the team, like what make easier and effective is give constructive feedback to each others and communicate with respect and openness in the team that make uh, how to uh, work like more effective and easier in the team as well. Yeah. Here's Tanda Koji from the Myanmar Ocean Project. Money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it, I don't know a country that's back on track. Oh, was that it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <it's> just... <laughs> yeah, that, that would that that would immediately make everything a lot easier. Yeah, well, I hope that happens sooner rather than later. And this is Dr. Ruth Brennan, transdisciplinary researcher, policy advisor, and integration expert based in Ireland. Um, I think relating to something that I said earlier that one thing that I would prioritize would be recognizing more that we can conceptualize human nature relationships in more than one particular way um, in multiple mm -hmm. ways and that it's not just uh, instrumental, say, natural capital, cultural capital concepts. That is the way to, to, to conceptualize that. So, yeah, acknowledging the multitude of ways that we can uh, conceptualize how um, our relationships, society environment relationships are. 
Chris Johns, National Geographic website cover boy, and working now with RTI International. Oh, I mean, that's easy. Mm. Money. Uh, <laughs> I feel yeah. like most people Super easy. that. Yeah. Money. Yep. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Here is Dr. Lucy Keith Diana and Diana Sec with African Aquatic Conservation Fund. That's easy for me. Uh, if the wildlife enforcement would actually enforce the laws. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because they're not. So the wildlife is not truly protected here. Mm. Yeah. And how about you, Deanna? Only that would be to get fishermen involved to stop the bycatch. Dr. Rishi Sugla with the Climate Impacts Group at the University of Washington. I think education in so many ways can be liberation and the way that we educate young researchers um, to do this type of work needs to so drastically change as a starting point, yeah. right? Like how do we become engaged scholars? How do we not tie our hands to a publisher parish system when we're doing this type of work? Um, yeah. I think rethinking how we teach young early career researchers, it would be such a huge step to towards creating a, this community that, community that we talked about, right? And that is like generational work that needs to happen. This needs to be like rethinking what the cutting edge of learning how to do this type of work, what it means to be a solidarity, like grounded mm -hmm. scientist. Um, would deeply help because we need community to do this work, you know, and yeah. it's hard to find that community. Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Jean Utsuram, a consultant for the Marine Wildlife Watch of the Philippines and a member of several scientific advisory bodies. I know you said these were rapid fire. I tried answer, answering them last night and I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> I think, um, uh, man, like I, I think just one way for conservation to work better, um, especially in developing countries, is for grants mm -hmm. um, to cover full salaries for the applicants. <laughs> yeah. Um, because um, like I haven't applied for a grant in a really long time, but I've heard this from a lot of other people. Um, you know, grants often don't cover salaries. Um, mm -hmm. And, and this can be difficult for someone who's, for instance, like an independent researcher or work or working not in academia. Because like if you're working in academia, right, you have a monthly salary. Um, but if you're independent or you're with a nonprofit that's struggling to keep their head above water, um, not including salaries in the grants forces people to um, possibly take on, you know, two or three other jobs. And so like you're, you're they're overworked essentially yeah um, and they might not be at their 100 best when they're working on conservation sorry that was not two sentences <laughs> no but that was a good answer I, I fully agree that that is so important and mark de la paz long-term irrawaddy dolphin conservation researcher in the philippines and now a phd student at hiroshima university in japan for me i realized um well, conservation is very transdisciplinary or multidisciplinary. Uh, it's not just a biologist's work. It's a lot of people involved. And what I realized is education really plays an important role. So I think it's really important that we get 
um, passionate teachers involved to in our mm-hmm. cause. We we communicate with teachers and students because, like I said, uh, you never know like how much impact you just did by just giving a lecture. In the future, they're going to be protesting for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. So education I is like very that. important, I think. And question two. What is an unsung idea that you'd like to see get more recognition in the field? Or who is an unsung hero who you'd like to see get more recognition in the field? Here's Joan's answer. Fishers. Okay. Count it. Yeah. Fishers know a lot more than they talk about Mm -hmm. or talk about with researchers or scientists or even government officials. And... Yeah, I think they have very valuable things to say. Yep. That we should. Absolutely. And from Brooke. Uh, I would love to see more recognition from the conservation field in particular to what science communicators are doing. And somehow these are two different fields. I'm not totally sure why. Um, but there's so many emerging leaders in SciComm that are, you know, in my opinion, just doing awesome things in engaging people on the species that they study and their data and their science. And I'm going to call out three in particular. Uh, Sarah McAnulty, she does squid facts. Awesome. If you don't spend any time thinking about squids, you will after following her. Erin um, McGee, she runs a kind of a game called Find That Lizard. And shares a lot of things about reptiles and there's a, there's another word that I don't know, like herps or something. Um, and uh, Jada Elcock, who does shark sciences, she's also one of the founders of minor- Minorities in Shark Sciences. They're called MISS for short. Um, and there's many others. But those are three that if you're thinking about following on social media, I would highly recommend it. And... I mean, they just bring these species to life in new, interesting, engaging ways that I think we can all really learn from or bring them into the conversation uh, and think about how do we translate this into conservation actions. Here's Yin Yin. So, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, that, and I'm very excited to answer as well. And then in this case, for the first one, what is an uh, idea I'd like to see is... Uh, I mean, the community inclusiveness, mm-hmm. like includes, uh, community and then the people can recognize uh, uh, community. That's one is Aung idea. And then another one is who is Aung hero. That is, I I would say like uh, in marine conservation, like fishermen and Aung hero, and then they should get more recognition in the field because they know more about like fishing or even dolphin. They know more about that. Even we have we have like technical skill and then go into the boat, uh, to go into the sea on a boat and then taking observer role. One sighting, they sight first. <laughs> there, there, and then they make fun of us. You guys are <laughs> on a binocular and then watch everything and then you don't see. You know. <laughs> Do you know the movement, all the movement in the sea? Okay, this song and what, what this could be. And then mm-hmm. if they uh, see uh, the flash, what would that be? And then they know they're a spark. 
you know. And also, uh, they are also experts in uh, like solving this problem, conservation issue, right? I see that. And then go back to the Einstein idea, I would say like immerse in the community and trying to understand uh, their perspective and mm -hmm. motivate them to speak out uh, uh, about the conservation idea and issue. I would say that. Uh, to give example, when I was uh, start working in marine mammal research and engage the community, and I can see they are very shy to answer the questions, and then they are rejected to the to the questions, you know. And then, but now, even I like go back uh, with a with a open ocean backpack in the back. They call, hey, are you going back? And I was really really happy to that from that situation from like avoiding us suggestion from avoiding us and then like call us communicate uh, us yeah. you know yeah i can see that and then where that come from that come from immersion their life because uh last two years i was on the boat with them to immerse their activities to do the boat uh opportunistic boat survey because mm -hmm. we couldn't do the formal uh, boat survey right and then i asking them can i follow with this boat to uh observe the dolphin and then they accept and then in the boat i saw what they do and then what these activities i want to do this activity why don't they can't take the uh phone because we always ask them, okay, take phone, take your phone okay. to the sea and take a picture. And then if you get a, a capture, the picture of the dolphin, you can see us. And then they see, no, we can't take a phone there. And I, I thought I have bias. Why don't they can't take? Because I gave them a you know, plastic uh, a waterproof pack back. Yeah. And then even I give them, why don't they can't? And I don't believe it. But when I was <laughs> That situation, I know how difficult they are, or how difficult what they have to do because mm -hmm. they have to catch the, the buoy, to, uh, they have to grab the buoy in very, very fast uh, speed, and then they like have oh, a fish, and then this phone can, like, every anytime it can drop. And then I understood that, oh, that's why they say they say they can take pole. And then we have a lot of conversation there. And then I know they are not shy. They are really want to express their voice, their experience. They want to talk. They want they really want to communicate to me like their experience on the sea and uh, with the dolphin. And I was really surprised and amazed that okay I got a lot of good information and then heard their voice and I got I start to build uh, uh, trust with them like since then immersion that's why I say immerse the community uh, is an idea right and uh, immerse them and understand them and communicate them that's that's this really powerful one yeah I think that's really important Yin Yin um for me, even, you know, in places where I, you know, in Myanmar, I never got to be particularly good at the language. Uh, but the time I've spent in communities, especially in the Philippines, where I, I did speak the language a little more and was able to spend more time in the villages, just hanging out in the village was so important in shaping how I view conservation, like how conservation works in the real world. Um, I think that's, a really important idea like and 
you know, in, in Myanmar at some of the higher level meetings I used to join, I would see some, you know, some experts, quote unquote experts with a lot of official formal background and, and certifications, they would speak very disrespectfully about the communities, actually. They'd say they're very simple, they don't understand this, you know, they're ignorant. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, there's groups like MCCL, for example, who have this strong belief um, and practice of immersing themselves in the communities. And this is what Tanda had to say. I, don't, I mean, I come across a lot of community, like, leaders, not actual leaders, but like, you know, that I wish they had a lot more capabilities and support. Mm -hmm. um, they are the ones who are going to make a much larger difference than people who are getting paid to do the job in right. organizations. Um, and there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's not just young people who wants to learn. It, 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 there are people in communities who actually really want to make their communities better and, and, and look after the ocean. And um, I think the way big organizations are set up tend to overlook a lot of these. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, not overlook, but I don't see inclusion so much. Yeah. Here's Ruth's response. We've talked a lot about emotions <laughs> in this conversation. <laughs> So I think it would it would be more recognition uh, for work or awareness that there is actually work on um, on the connection and the relationships between emotions, power, and uh, environmental conflict. So there's a field, the field of emotional political ecology, um, and I have a, a colleague, uh, for example, whose work is fantastic. Uh, Marianne Gonzalez Hidalgo, um, who works directly in that field of emotional political ecology. Uh, and I think those relationships between emotions, power and kind of environment and environmental conflict in particular, um, that would be something that I think should, uh, it would be worth giving more kind of prevalence to. Again, utterly complicating the picture. <laughs> Bringing those relationships into it, but I think I think it's something really, really important. That's so cool. I've never heard of that before. I'll have to look mm -hmm. into that. And from Chris, um, I mean, this kind of goes back to one of my earlier points, but I I just think that communications and marketing and those general domains can really help conservation. Mm -hmm. The addendum to that is that like it has to be done effectively. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to like you know fall short on your objectives. I like that addendum. Here's Lucy and Diana. Yeah, I mean, I was trying, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would probably go with an idea because I, I think there's lots of people I, I could fill a, I could fill an entire hour with some people that I think require recognition, but I mean, I feel like people think when they, create a protected area that that's it it's protected and i mm -hmm. think there's not really much thought that it you know it's a process it's it, it needs maintenance it needs updating it needs constant reinforcement um and i think that's sort of lost even you know recently i was involved with the group that was proposing um 
you know, oh, we're going to apply to create more protected areas. And I was like, well, what about the ones we already have that aren't really being protected? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we should be putting mm-hmm. our time and energy into those um, because they're actually, they're, they exist, first of all, so they don't need to be created. But, um, you know, they're, they're not really protecting things. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that's, yeah, it's a theme with me, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, it makes sense. Makes sense. And Diana, sorry if that was a hard question, but do you do you have an answer to? <laughs> yeah, for me that would be the eDNA. It's not it's not uh, recognized, mm. but more if we can use it more in Senegal, mm. that would be great yeah. to to train more people to make people know about it. Yeah. 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 And I'm only I'm such a dunce when it comes to genetics, but I recognize the power of it. But also, yeah, you need to pe- have people trained in it. You need to have ways to get the samples to the facilities. There's, but there's a lot of power to it. I like that answer. And this is what Rishi had to say. So, although this is a conservation pod, I think I would like to shout out a friend and colleague and person that I admire who's not in the field of conservation but is a land and water defender yeah and awesome. um her name is charlotte grubb um, she is an incredible organizer that has worked with myself on the lithium work in chile and argentina mm-hmm. on the film uh, with honor the earth on stopping like line three pipeline um on dakota access she is an incredible human being who is, I think, one of the most unsung people and from a public perspective that I yeah. know because she's so grounded in, you know, in an, in an era of everyone needing to broadcast their work. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like far and wide is someone who chooses not to do so to always keep the focus on doing incredible work on the ground, mutual aid projects of all different kinds, um, direct actions of all different kinds of reimagining what it means to be in solidarity and what the future could look like in so many different ways. And um, because she never shouts herself out, I just wanted to shout out Charlotte. <laughs> if you have a chance to get her on the podcast, um, you know, I would right. highly it sounds recommend like she's- She's busy saving the world, but that would be amazing. <laughs> I would need to learn more about her for sure. She's, she's, uh, and I would say, I would say, like that might not fall under some people's definition of conservation, but it should. Yeah. Right. Here's Jean's response. You gotta so, choose. <laughs> uh, I couldn't come up with an idea. Yeah. Because uh, there's too many, and I couldn't filter them out. Yeah. Unsung hero, I. <laughs> I joked last night that it would be, have to be Mark De La Paz. Like, okay. I don't know why. It was, okay. like, totally random. I thought of Mark. Um, so he's a marine <laughs> mammal researcher. I know you're, like, you have three Filipinos already um, lined up for your podcast. He's, he's the third one. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, yeah, like, Mark deserves some recognition, definitely, okay. for the work that he's done um, on Irrawaddy dolphins, particularly on the... Um, critically endangered pop- subpopulation in um, Iloilo and Gimara Straits. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. He's, he's so modest about it too. So maybe I'll embarrass him when I talk to him by, by telling him this. <laughs> and speaking of Mark, here's Mark. 
uh, unsung hero. Well, for me, uh, I really look look up to Daniel Kreb. Um, yeah. she's not known in the Philippines, but I want more people to know about what kind of work she does. So that's something that I want to emulate as well. Um, she's not mm -hmm. just doing Irrawaddy Dolphin. She's also doing a lot of biodiversity stuff and um, in Indonesia. So I think she deserves more recognition than she does with her kind of work. So Daniel Krebb is my idol. <laughs> <laughs> I 100% agree. I feel really lucky that I was able to to work at her field site. And she was so generous mm. in so many ways. Very helpful, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even to the point of bringing me to the immigration office so I could finish getting my research permit. Oh, see, yeah, she will help. Yeah, like on her own motorbike and like helping me find a passport or a place to convince to take passport photos because the immigration office suddenly wanted a different dimension of photo than the one they listed. Yeah, and then like helping me fill out the forms. You know, she's just such an amazing person. So I I second your unsung hero. Yeah, and she's this white girl in Indonesia, right? But she's very much I know. and she really <laughs> speaks the language and she's really part of that culture. She is a good example of if you're a foreigner going to do work in another country, that's that's a good way to do it. Who's really immersed in what she's doing. I mean, she's not the parach parachute scientist, like, right? <laughs> nope. Definitely nope. not. She <laughs> she's she parachuted not. and she stayed. <laughs> She's great yeah. and, and good things happen. Yeah. <laughs> and moving on to the third and last question. What is one of your top pieces of advice for aspiring or younger conservationists? Well, this is for something I said, but more like specifically relating to colonial science and colonial mm. mentality. Um, basically, I, I said that colonial science and colonial mentality are quite tricky and difficult to deal with. I think if we speak up and talk and share about our work, our accomplishments, others will know that there is a lot of marine mammal research being done in our country, research being done by locals, um, that we have the local expertise and in many ways we can do things or have done things that no one else has. Um, and then especially to young researchers, um, you should take the opportunity, talk about your work, to showcase all the good things all the science that is being done and lead when you can. Um, step up and believe that you can't you you don't have to be educated in the US or abroad to be able to do good science. Mm -hmm. Love that. That was Joan and now Brooke's response. Well we touched on the one before in terms of additional skills to acquire. So I would say uh, add project management skills to your list. The big piece of advice I want to offer is that we can't effectively take care of the planet if we don't take care of ourselves. And especially for young, early career conservationists, you have many years ahead of you working on this. And I think the key to that personal sustainability is to set boundaries, practice self-care, and I'll admit it is a practice. So it's constantly, constant muscle you have to like hone and flex and don't stay in toxic work environments. There's other places where you can do your work that'll treat you better. I mean, we're out here saving the world. We should do it in a healthy, supportive environment. 
Yeah. And I, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier of how emotionally invested we get, sometimes that can work against us as well is that we feel like we can't make that change or, you know, leave that team because we're so emotionally invested, but we have to set those boundaries that it still has to be healthy for me. I can still have a life outside of this job. Um, and, you know, practice what I need to practice to take care of myself. We need everyone showing up as their best selves, you know, whatever that means that day. Um, but we can only do that if we take care of ourselves. Here's Yin-Yin's answer. Okay. Maybe happy <laughs> to answer these questions. Okay. Yeah, my piece of advice to the younger conservation is whenever they like uh, doing their work, don't use people or community as runaway for own benefit. Mm. Right? Don't don't use as a runaway. You this is a part of the work uh, as for your benefit. Don't don't use that. I I don't know like can they understand or not. But in premise, I can explain it well. Right? Okay. So with with <laughs> runaway, you mean like runaway? This is road, right? Road. Yeah. You oh, that, right? runaway. Yeah, yeah. People run away. Just communicate with them and then trying to understand mm. to each other. And uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't use people for our own benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's kind of similar to like, don't, don't use them as we could say like pawns in a game of chess. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, yeah. Don't just use them for your own ideas. You have to respect them and, and open up and collaborate instead of trying to manipulate or control them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, another piece of that could be like communicate with them, with communicate them with heart and love. And then you will know the feeling of uh, feeling the scent from both sides, you know? Oh, like, I like that. <laughs> with heart and love. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really nice, Yin Yin. And this is what Tonda had to say. Don't doubt yourself, just do it. Like, I think, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 like, I would imagine everybody still struggle with the impact they're having and, you know, but just, just, just do it. I, I mean, it wasn't in my five-year plans to start a conservation organization. It, it wasn't in my, I mean, you know, um, but I, I do look back, like, because I have a habit of writing a very extensive to-do list and my thoughts. If I get really, like, anxious, I will, just, like, write down all my thoughts to just see it visually. And But, I mean, but I, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I never had any plans to do this. But also, because I had been leading up to it, I had been volunteering for different organizations. And I knew it was something I was passionate about. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but... If I was honest with myself, I, I, I would have always known this is what I want. This is what I wanted mm. to do. It wouldn't have just fallen on my lap. Um, you know, and I, I joke about how I still have screenshots in my phone of like my first expedition and like shit, like I am doing this now. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I Google <laughs> how to run an NGO and and I found one good article and, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna lose internet, so I'm gonna take screenshots of this article to read <laughs> on the journey. I I don't think wow. I, I I haven't read it, but I still I, I just I don't think it's gonna 
apply to where I am now, but right. I, I still sort of hang on to like a, a reminder of like, I suppose how far I've come. Yeah. I mean, traditionally people would say, you know, it's in, in Yamato, like I'm not a marine biologist. People who likes to hold on to titles will never give me the space. I'm not somebody's, you know, son or like daughter or position. They would, they wouldn't, or, or not from the army, so to speak. Like they would not give me that space to listen. But I, yeah, I, you know, managed to put my foot down and I'm still here. <laughs> so, yeah. if you need an opportunity to do something and you're in that position to do that one thing, then do it. This is Ruth's response. I would say, and this is not necessarily per se to do with conservation, which might be surprising for someone who describes himself as a conservationist, but I would say really, really work on your listening skills, on communication skills, on your emotional self-awareness, emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, um, because that's fundamental to this kind of work, absolutely fundamental to yeah. this kind of work, because it's all about uh, the foundation is relationship building. It's crucial. Um, and also related to that is think about and actively look for those opportunities where you can interface with the policy environment, because that's how you can uh, have an impact. That's how you can start to shape things. Um, that's how you can kind of feed your ideas into places where they may, they may not, but they may have, you may can drop seeds where they may actually flourish and, 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 and have an impact. Um, and to build those bridges and to, to, to build those relationships, to build those bridges and to be a bridge to those marginalized voices. And when I talk about marginalized voices, I mean both human and the more than human world. Um, so yeah. That, that that would be my advice. And Chris's response. Um, I would say to find your home, find wherever home is. Here's Lucy and Yana. Um, <laughs> for me, it's just to call Senegalese women to mm. get involved because we are the relief. Yeah, for me, it's the advice that I'm going to give to people here, young people. So we're going to go because why? Because we are the relief after the relief. The relief? Yeah. I'm not sure I understand the context, though. Yeah, because tomorrow we are the young, the young with yourself. Yeah, you tomorrow. are the ones who are the future generation. Yeah. Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, we need to start one. now to start learning a lot of stuff now, and then in the future we'll be able to do stuff. You'll be leaders. Train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I love that. That's true. It's not, um, you know, anything to do with nature here. There are not many women involved. Like if you look at mm -hmm. the rangers in the marine protected areas, if you look at the fishing community, obviously, um, it's it's all men and. But women care about nature, and I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, yes, mine is really, I, I just, I know there's a lot of people out there with enthusiasm, and I don't want them to give up. Don't give up if at first you don't succeed, because it is really hard. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that's that's the reality. I mean, it was, it was hard for me and I grew up in America, you know, so it's never going to be easy, 
to get into a conservation career. But if you really care, just keep at it and keep looking for creative ways to do something. Um, you know, it might not be what you originally intended to do, but you know, you might find something else. I mean, I was going to be a wolf biologist, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. That was going to be that was yeah. the thing. And um, it just so happened that after college, I went out to San Francisco with some friends and started volunteering at the California Marine Mammal Center and fell madly in love with seals. And that was it. You know, I said, no, OK, I want to do something with the ocean. And um, so, you know, I, I, it's still animals. It's still wildlife, but it's not what the original thing was. But I, I feel like there's so much that we all need to be doing you know, the earth is really degrading, the marine system is degrading, and we need more people. And um, if you really care, then don't let anything stop you, your family, you know, I mean, just keep trying until you find a way. Um, so that's my advice. Here's what Rishi had to say. Just build, just build your community early and often. Um, mm. we don't, not even just as academics, just as people in this country, I, I, I don't think we're encouraged enough to build the community that will help us flourish in this world. I think we're so taught that individual accolades are the accolades that matter most. And it's so hard to do transformative work outside of a individualistic capitalistic framing if you don't have that community it's actually impossible so i guess one thing would just be be very intentional about creating a community of people that will help you thrive no matter where you go and then i guess another thing is um just that like disciplinary boundaries like much like the distinction of basic research versus applied research research are gray areas that you should feel very free to trample on early and often <laughs> and whenever it makes sense and just to remember that you know we're all like caught in boxes out of convenience and not out of how reality in the world is reflected so embrace the complexity of all the things that don't make sense and then go dance in it because you know that is where the interesting work happens and it is how the world really works and don't get so caught up in your disciplinary expertise that you won't engage in something new and take that mindset of like i have no idea what's going on in this weird space this is not how my disciplinary training taught me to think about this problem but I can learn and I can learn because I have a community of people around me um, that will yeah. help me learn and will be giving me grace when I fail. So I love that. yeah, that's so important. Here are wise words from Jean. Um, this one should be easy, supposedly. Um, find a good mentor, uh, uh, preferably one that isn't afraid to um, challenge the status quo. Yeah. I think it sounds easy, but <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> you might you might have to look a while, but they're out there. Yeah. 
That is really important. I mean, my PhD advisor was amazing. She's still very important in my life years later. And she's, you know, a seabird and marine mammal expert, doesn't do any social science work, but she was willing to challenge the status quo because she's like, I know this work needs to be done and I'm happy to have my students do it. And so, um, yeah, I agree. That's a really good piece of advice. And our last response for this compilation is from Mark. Um, you have to have that passion. You have to know what you're going to work with. So you have to love and understand what you're trying to conserve. Mm-hmm. Because often it's going to be very challenging and unrewarding. Yeah. Um, there are things to make it fun. There are ways to make it fun. I know you've talked about it and I, I really I really relate to you to be like that grumpy lady. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've been jaded so much, but um you have because of that passion, you have that's what's keeping me uh going, keeping me attached to yeah. this kind of um sometimes ungrateful work. So, yeah, yeah. Mm, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but um, it's the passion that keeps me drive, uh, keeps, keeps me on the go. And there you have it. That is a wrap to the conservation expert interviews for this season. I hope and plan to have a brief interview with my amazing brother, Danny Witte. He is a non-speaking autistic writer and advocate. Um, on his thoughts of how the realms of disability justice and conservation um, overlap and have similarities. Um, And I know he has some brilliant thoughts on it because we've chatted about it before several times. Um, Unfortunately, um, as is the case with many folks with his disability, when his body is having a tough time, it's, it's quite unpredictable what he'll be able to to do, um, what energy he'll be able to spend. So I'm still hopeful that by the end of the year, I'll be able to get some thoughts from him. Um, Otherwise, I will just have another brief monologue to wrap up this first season. And uh, I have quite a few brief but important thoughts to share there. Thank you so much for listening along. And uh, again, any support you can offer in terms of liking and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts, um, commenting, starting discussions on the Substack site, even donating. And again, thank you so much to those who have generously donated so far. All that information is on the Substack site. Um, I really appreciate being able to share these ideas with you. Thank you so much for joining. Take care. ยาลาเฮตุกปาจีเยสิงโคดานเวนาสวนเลตุปยองเวอาผิวเซลโลเลเซลันเนลาปาจีเยกงโกซองเนตุลาเวไหนเชิญลงมาเปียรีมาตุ๊ดทะเลกงเชวาเรมมีบุเฮ
ตาวายเมียวเสตตอปาโบเลตาบาวายเตยาริมิตินายมาซิเมนโลนาไดมินด์ตวยจีเลตูเทยเตยจาโซนากันมาเลเมยเอนวิตวยเจโนเนลี ซาวชาวเลเมมิตาซุกิโกมาวนมาไดเบเลอเวเนตุยซาโลเตซองกาเลเทเตเฮลูไดมาโกซิตาวอชิเบโลบาเซโยเนโอแจมเปลไลปา